0: Our Know Why You Believe What You Believe series. Let me open up with a scripture. And uh, I'm going to read it out of the CEV, Contemporary English Version. I I just love this scripture. It's Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9. My name is the Lord. I won't let idols or humans share my glory and praise. Everything has happened just as I said it would. Now I will announce what will happen next. This is a beautiful scripture, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 and 9. And so today we will be covering eschatology. What? Shut your mouth. Eschatology. Who can tell me what it is? End times, future things. It's your thing. No, future things. Eschatology is part of theology concerned with the final events of history, or ultimate destiny of humanity, this concept is commonly referred to as the end of the world or end times. The word arises from the Greek, eschatos, or eskatos, meaning last and logic, which means the study of, so the study of last, and first appeared in English around 1844, the Oxford English Dictionary, defines eschatology as the part of theology connected with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of humankind. So we started with the importance of the Bible being the word of God. We talked about the nature of God, making sure that we understand the true definition of the nature of God. Um, We went on to soteriology. Who remembers last week what soteriology was? The study of salvation. Salvation. Lee pays attention. Good job, Mrs. Lee. And she wasn't even here, huh? I was too. Oh, you were? Okay. Okay, okay. So the study of salvation and how important it is that we understand how we're saved, what we're saved from, what we're saved to, um, and all of that. So we looked at a lot of that. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, we had a chance when we were talking about the Bible and truth and uh, taking things out of context and in context. Um, So John chapter 8, and we'll look at two verses there, 31 and 32. Let me see. And it was uh, Jeffrey that pointed out the importance of making sure that we read things in context. When I had mentioned... Know the truth. Um, I remember Jeff had mentioned the verse prior to it. So this is John. Is it John eight? Am I on in Mark, the other gospel? How did I get there? John chapter eight, <clears throat> verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those who believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed." And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so as I was just thinking about eschatology, studying the end times and things of the last days and all of that stuff, um, we want to, again, be challenged with knowing why we believe what we believe. um, Because the Lord wants to free us up. And I think there's so many things that burden us, weigh us down, Unnecessarily perturb us, bother us. And so I just think the importance of, again, just walking in the truth that we know to be true. And then I would ask the question, why study eschatology? Turn to First John chapter three. Last three epistles. Way in the back there. First John. Chapter 3, 1 John, chapter 3. And notice verses 1 through 3. If we ask the question, why study eschatology? 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, And that truth having set us free is really what we're doing with it, walking in the truth. And for the believer, when Jesus is revealed finally, we're going to know, we're going to be known, but that's something that's future, isn't it? When Jesus comes. That's something that's not right now. So the second coming of Christ and us going to God, that's not right now. That's in the future. But he who has this hope, that Jesus is going to take us home, or or Jesus is going to come back for us. It says it right there in 1 John chapter 3. He who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Your belief is not what's in your head, it's what you practice. And what you practice is lived out. And so we have to be careful because there is an enemy that is very subtle in getting us off one degree at a time And so we have to be very, very careful of that. Eschatology. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this time that we have, and we just pray, Father, that you would open up things to us and remind us of things that we already know, Uh, that the things that we have already, Lord, uh, that we do understand and know, Father, I pray that those things would be confirmed and solidified. And uh, the things that we believe wrong, Father, that you would expose those, and just help us to understand what it is that you say about these future things, and so bless this time as we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, "So death, the first resurrection, the bema seat, judgment, the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the second coming, the millennium reign, the judgment of the judgment of the Lord, and eternity." Our last day's things. There may be other things, but those are the ones just as I was looking around and, and just looking at the things that I wanted to touch on. So let's talk about death. What happens at death? All right. So she said, absent from the body, present with the Lord at death. 2 Corinthians 5, eight says, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present With the Lord. So when you die, everybody in the world? No. Everyone in the world, when they die, everybody goes into the presence of the Lord? No. Who gets to go into the presence of the Lord? So believers, right? Christians, God's kids, is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, okay? What happens to the non-believer? What'd you say? Chuck, Sheol. Okay, the place of the dead, the abode of the deceased. Okay, where would we find that? All right, so Luke chapter, is it 15 or 16? One of those. Luke chapter 15 or 16 tells us, okay, so are they going to be in purgatory? No. Awaiting for judgment. No? What's purgatory? Doesn't exist, right? And so there's an awkward scripture, kind of strange scripture within um, one of the Maccabees, right? One of the Apocrypha, the books of history that is within the Catholic Bible in the Old Testament. They're the inner uh, period where in between um, the last uh, prophet was Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And then you go to... You know Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, but in between there the writings of the Apocrypha came. Four hundred years of silence from God, and these are historical books. Talks about a lot of um, I don't know Antiochus Epiphanes, Artaxerxes, all that stuff. But those historical books. There's this awkward scripture that maybe gives a reference to um, purgatory, which I which is where I think Catholicism got it from. But Catholicism is not a biblical doctrine. Um, why wouldn't so let's, let's talk about a little bit of, of purgatory. So after I die, if I'm not a Christian, if I didn't receive Christ as my Savior, if my, if my sins, my good didn't weigh out my bad, you know, like many believe, then I got to go finish paying this stuff off to this place called purgatory. Why would that be unbiblical? Why would that not be sound doctrine? Jason. And paid it all. So our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. Jesus cried on the cross to Talestai. What does that mean? It is, it is finished. Paid in full. It's done. And so that's an insult to the sacrifice that Christ made, as if it's not complete. As if it, there's something lacking, right? I gotta go work off my... No, your sins are forgiven as a child of God. All your sins. Lee. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like the rosary and all that? Is that why? I don't know. I never was a good Catholic. Money too? Yeah, I was a horrible Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, purgatory, not a biblical concept. So when the non-believer dies, let me read you Revelation 20, verses 13, 14, and 15. Revelation twenty thirteen fourteen and 15. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah, that don't sound like no purgatory there. No second chances. And so, upon death, you as a believer... As a child of God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. A non-believer into Abraham's bosom, that place of Sheol, the place of the dead, that punishment place where the rich man could feel pain, a holding place to await the great white throne judgment. What should that do to us as Christians? What, what does that mean to us as a Christian? Are we like, I got my get out of jail free card, Sucker! Is that the attitude to have with non-believers? What should that cause us to do with non-believers? Share the gospel. Pray for them. Try to be a light for them, right? Our hearts should be compassionate towards those whose feet are about to slip into eternity. Lost forever (laughs) and ever. And so that's why we're here oftentimes. To know God. And to make Him known. That is our purpose in life. To know God. Imagine that. To know God. To grow deep in your understanding of who God is. Because He's unsearchable. And the deeper you go with Him, the more you just fall in love with Him. Because the more you realize how much He loves you. How much He loves you. What a plan He has for you. And how His thoughts towards you are good. And how He desires to prosper you and to bless you. And so to know God but to make Him known, to make sure that we're sharing and we put it out there. Okay? So that's death. What is the first resurrection? Study of end times. Eschatology. The first resurrection. I was kind of surprised when I saw it in the list. I was like, first resurrection? What's that? I don't really know. I don't think I know what that is. I'm not sure what that is. Well, let's read it. Turning your Bibles to... Revelation chapter 20, if you have your Bible. Last book in the New Testament, Revelation, the unveiling, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse six 4, and we'll look at three verses, 4, 5, and 6. So this is the first resurrection. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4, 5, and 6, the Bible says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their ha- hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not res- did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Awesome. So there are tribulation saints that will come through and experience something called the first resurrection resurrection. What is the bema seat of Christ? That's the rewards are given to the saints. Okay. So, Christians will receive rewards for what? For their works. And, and if you kind of narrow it down, it's really for the motives of why we did what we did. Why we did what we did. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 talked about why the Pharisees did what they did. Anybody remember why? Sympathy. To be seen of men. The applause of men. The accolades of people. So it's kind of like the culture we live in right now, right? Everybody trying to get on some... Two minutes of fame, ten minutes of fame, just trying to, how, how many likes can I get? How many, you know, people can I get paying attention to me? How much attention can I draw to myself so that people can notice how wonderful I am? Not that wonderful. You're not that wonderful. But our world doesn't believe that, does it? Okay? So, for the Bema Seat of Christ, we will stand before this judgment seat of Christ. Will we be judged for salvation? No. no. How come? Jesus was judged on our behalf. He took our punishment. And so we will never be judged again for salvation. We'll never be punished for our sins because Jesus was punished on our behalf. Isn't that great news? Okay. But the Bema seat. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If You want to turn there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I think Jason, Pastor Jason Norton from Calvary Chapel Downey Bible College did a great job of sharing Um, on this entire section of scriptures right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read you 9, 10, and 11. Three verses. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust, are well known in your consciences. And so the bemis seed of Christ will stand before God. And our works, the things will add up either to wood, hay and stubble. What happens? Wood hay and stubble. Burn. Burns. Or precious metals, gold, silver, right? Iron, brass, all of those things. And then those will be purified. And then the Lord will reward us with that in heaven. So, something to look forward to. Something to um, work towards. You're not working for your salvation. You're working from your salvation, as Ephesians 2.10 says. Where his poema, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that <coughs> God prepared beforehand. Okay? So that's the a seed of the Christ. Rapture of the church is the word rapture in the Bible. Why do we say the rapture of the church? Who knows where that came from? Raptuos. Good job, Steve. And that is what translation of the Bible? The Latin translation of the Bible, the word raptuos, is where we get our English word rapture. It's a snatching away or a catching up. And so what is the rapture of the church? Caught up to be with the Lord. Meet Him in the air, right? Will we see Christ at that time? It's kind of a trick question. Uh, yes and no. We'll see him when we meet him in the, in the air, but he's not going to be seen. It's, it's, um, it's like a thief in the night. So the second coming of Christ has two parts. Kind of like the, like Jesus has two comings, his first and his second. But his second has two parts. The rapture of the church. What, what takes place somewhere after the rapture of the church? The feast for us, so the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, what takes place on earth? The seven-year tribulation period, okay? Um, The great tribulation is the last three and a half years of that same period of time. So the rapture of the church is like a thief in the night. It's secret in the sense that every eye is not going to see. The second coming of Christ after the tribulation period when he comes back with his church. Every eye will see, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Okay, so those two separate themselves from one another. First um, Thessalonians four thirteen through seventeen is the scripture for that. We won't read it, but the rapture of the church. Any questions on the rapture? What needs to take place before the rapture can happen? Nothing. The last person to believe. Okay. So there's uh, Romans chapter 10, I think it is, right? The time of the Gentiles. When the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. In other words, there's a person that needs to receive Christ. God knows what that number is. When that last person accepts or receives Christ as Savior, that will be what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. And when that takes place, Vamanos! Woo! We're out of here. The rapture of the church, okay? So you you will either die... And be present with the Lord, or he will rapture you, and you will go to meet him in the air and be with the Lord. But regardless, when, when it's all said and done, we go to be with the Lord forever and ever. Okay, Anything else on the rapture you guys can think about or questions on? Rapture of the church is the next, the next eschatological thing on the calendar. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the rapture of the church. And like Lee said before that happens, the last person to give their life to the Lord as a Christian in this dispensation of grace. Okay? Alright, tribulation period. How long is that going to last? Seven years. What? How long is the great tribulation going to last? Three and a half years. What happens in the middle of the tribulation to make it the great tribulation? What separates the tribulation from the great tribulation? The abomination of desolation prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, 24, 25, 26, 27. Right? When the Antichrist, a human being, a man possessed literally by the devil, sets himself up in the revived temple to be worshipped as God. That's when Israel's eyes are going to be open. They're going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to worship you. And they'll flee to most likely Petra to hide out. God will protect them. And that's Matthew 24, 25, Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 through 16. Talk about the tribulation period. Starts with the seal judgments, and then it goes to the bowl judgments, and then it goes to the trumpet judgments. And so there's seven, seven, seven. The seventh seal opens up the bowls. The seventh bowl opens up the trumpets. So those are some pretty horrific times. Of that time, Jesus said that it's the worst time that the world has ever known, and no time has been like that. No time will ever be like that. Okay? So that's a pretty, pretty bad time. We don't want to be there. Can you receive God in the tribulation period? What will you have to do? No more cabeza. Yeah, no more head. Yeah. And your head, I don't know if you know this, you need it to be attached to be able to be alive. So you'll be beheaded. But you can come to faith. So how does the rebuilding of the temple get happen happen in three and a half years? It doesn't have to happen in three and a half years. It will happen it will happen at the beginning of the tribulation, but it does it does like the rapture doesn't announce the tribulation the next day or in a week after the rapture. it can happen whenever God wants it to happen. the temple i think everything is ready, and they just found a red heifer two thousand eighteen a perfect red heifer, which is the, the one thing they were waiting for, so they they're, yeah, the temple, they've been working on that for quite a while. Mm. They're not sacrificing yet. Not it's not finished, and they're not sacrificing. Anybody been to Israel lately? Well, she's been it, but I'm sure. uh, where are they at with the temple? Um, I don't, I'm not sure if they're they mentioned doing anything just yet, but they, they're ready. Like, I know they're getting all the... Time, when it's go time, it's go time. Yeah. 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 So and things ready. can happen rather quickly once they start... In 52 they can, days. They can, they can build a temple. Brian? Right. Part of the problem is on the temple now, you have a mosque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be great if some great leader would come in with a solution of how the Jews can build a temple. We can solve that problem. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. The next mosque is they found the Dome of the Spirits. Uh huh. And it's believed that. Yeah. Down the street, right up the way. Actually, that the Dome of the Spirits. Built, right. which will not have to interfere with the double rock. Yeah. And it was that where Abraham sacrificed Isaac on that mountain? Or I think so. Yeah. Oh, no, well, didn't Abraham. Or yeah, took him up the mountain. Mount Moriah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh that's ready. And the Cohens are the Levites, descendants of the Levites, so they have the priests lined up. So, just interesting. Right. Right. Ready for yeah. yeah, that red heifer was just found, two thousand eighteen. So, red heifer is a something a perfect sac- sacrifice. So they're able to. I yeah. Yeah, it's in the Bible that they need a red heifer for sacrifices. So, heifer is a cow. if somebody calls you a heifer, say, hey, shut your mouth. They're trying to what? They're trying to like genetically produce one. Okay. I guess they found the natural pure one now is what they're saying, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read an article. Can you like explain the chopping off of the heads? Well, we read it in uh part of that one scripture. So in what revelation scripture was that that we read? And they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. So they were already believers, they? No, they, they became believers because they missed the rapture. So they became believers in the tribulation. Remember, there's three and a half years of... It's, it's stuff happening. It's pretty bad stuff, but it's nothing like the second half of the tribulation period. The second half will definitely be hell on earth, or it's really God's wrath being poured out on okay, earth. I mean, for them, for everybody. and in, in respect because of the fact of, uh, you know, uh, otherwise people would follow him if, if everything's still... Uh, there's a scripture in Thessalonians that says God will send them strong delusion who did not believe in the love of the truth. So uh, it's, it's bigger than... There's people that don't want to believe and God is going to give them what they want and their inability... Look at the Jews now. Again, according to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, a partial hardening has happened to the nation of Israel. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. And so their inability to believe. Now, are there a remnant? Are there individuals within uh, Israel that want to believe? Yeah, and God will not despise them of that opportunity, but most don't want to believe, and God's like, you to have what you want. And so I think that's going to be part of it as well. I struggle with knowing If people are giving themselves to the Lord in the tribulation period, and then you have that verse in Thessalonians that says that God will send them strong delusion, you know, who are they? More people will come to the faith in the tribulation period than in all of history. So, I mean, even while God's wrath is being poured out, people are coming to God in faith and going to end up in heaven for eternity. All right, the millennial reign. What is that? You know, one of the most misunderstood doctrines in all of the Bible because the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it, and yet there's a lot of scriptures that point to it. But just an interesting time. There will be a 1,000-year reign after the tribulation period where we, New Testament believers prior to the tribulation, will come and we will rule... Over cities. How does that work? Oh, no. But we'll do it for a thousand years. Satan will be bound for that one thousand years. And so the flesh and the world will still be there. But you remove the world, the flesh, or the devil. And sin becomes a different dynamic. So you no longer have a devil to use and tempt you with the world and use your flesh to sin. And so sin is going to be existing. We will there'll be a righteous reign um just the the nuances of it are interesting um it's a, again a hard thing to to grasp for me but bible talks about it revelation chapter 20 verses 1 and 1 through 7 are the scriptures that mostly deal with the millennial reign any questions on that Although this is the first resurrected? resurrected, not rain. We will rain. They will not rain. Well, it didn't stay I thought it was we can read it. Can read it Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it to you. That's uh, coming down. That's after the thousand years. Thank you. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should, be, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they did with us. But the rest of the dead did not live. The thrones then refers to us. Yes, the the, the right. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And I do find it amazing that people will be tempted still after that. I just don't get that, but you yeah, know, it just shows the power of sin and the power of the flesh, and just how kind of weird that is. Okay? All right, judgment of the loss, Revelation twenty eleven through fifteen. Judgment of the loss is a great white throne judgment, and the judgment of the law loss comes down to one thing: name not found in the book of life. That's it. Name not found in the book of life. A lot of people think that if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then they'll make it to heaven. That's not how God judges. He doesn't judge on a curve. You will be judged for perfection and perfection alone. So you will stand in your own righteousness, or you will stand in the righteousness of another who was perfect on your behalf. And that's it. There's no middle ground. There's no nothing else. And so, again, I think that's important for us to get the word out. And then eternity is found in Revelation 21, all of chapter 21 and 22, new heaven and earth coming down from heaven, talking about a light. Who was talking about that? Was that you, Don? Who's talking about a light that was coming? Oh, uh- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this light out there that's getting brighter and brighter. Maybe it's the new heaven and new earth you were saying? But it seems as time is going on, that it's getting brighter. Coming towards, coming Isn't that interesting? Just saying what, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a neat, neat, neat idea. Um, so in the judgment of Genesis chapter 6, we have Noah is commissioned to build an ark. He found favor with God, right? Um, and God judged the world with water. How is God going to judge the world the second time? Fire. And many believe, because if you read the scriptures, Peter especially, uh, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Sounds like a nuclear war. And if you read tribu- uh, you know, the tribulation period, there's a lot of things in there that, that scream war. So just an interesting dynamic. But eternity, uh, where we live with God forever and ever, and ever, and then we live happily ever after, that happily ever after, is a, is a real deal. It's a true thing. And the greatest thing about heaven is God. Above anything else, the greatest thing about heaven is God. And so, those who spend time with God on earth, those who really really press in in their relationship with God and really just um man, they begin get to know God. They look most forward to heaven because we'll be with God forever. Unadulterated with no, you know, none of our flesh, our sin, our our the haze, right? First Corinthians thirteen talks about looking in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, knowing as we are known. And so just the, the beauty of all that is. How then shall we live? I wrote, because you, you study eschatology, you look at all these last day stuff and you think, Well man, this is like wow. Oh, if all this is gonna happen, then man, why even go to work tomorrow? You know? But I always say plan your life as though you will live to be a hundred and live your life as though it were your last. On earth, and that's how we live. In light of all of this information, in light of all of this truth, in light of all of these doctrines, go ahead and plan your life out as though you were going to be live to be hundred. Be responsible. Be faithful. Pay your bills. You know, pay your taxes. Uh, you know, be nice to people and all of that. Plan your life out as though you're going to live to be hundred, and then live each day as that may be your last day. And I think just knowing of the hope of Jesus coming, the rapture, uh, us going to be with him forever and ever, all of that should affect how we live, how we treat people, what we do with our lives. Questions, comments, concerns, eschatology. Boom. Boom. So when the... um, Satanic rebellion after a thousand years. It says that he's he surround Jerusalem and then fire from heaven destroys him. it's mm-hmm. like not even just like that. It's not a contest. It's not a contest. Yeah, it's not God versus Satan. Yeah, it's, like it's Creator it's over all awesome. creation. It's like he doesn't. Well, the, the the Battle of Armageddon, the last great battle. All of these people line up to fight God, and with the word, He destroys them. Yeah. It's, awesome. it's like not a contest. Uh, Psalm chapter two. Oh yeah, up to the horse's bridle, right? Um, um, Psalm two. You know, it talks about the kings of the earth set themselves against God, and He 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 laughs. Like it's like. This is not a contest. But the audacity of man, of humanity, to shake their fist at God, the loving, gracious creator. There it is. You're like a midget on your knees. That's what uh, Cross Movement said in the song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can study these things and maybe not fully understand everything that is yet future, but Lord, you've proven through prophecy That you say what you mean and you mean what you say, Lord. You know what you're talking about. And all of the prophecies of your first coming came to pass exactly how they were written. And so we should know that these scriptures that speak about future things are going to take place exactly the way you say, Lord. And So I pray that that would just cause us to look forward to eternity, but occupy until you come. In the meantime, thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.